So let me ask you a question. What do these things all have in common? Ruby Goldberg machines. You know those things. They, they do all this fun stuff. HOAs. HOAs, maybe you've lived in one. <laughs> maybe you are in one right now. How about certain life hacks? Certain life hacks. Some of you might not know this guy, but he's the one that is online, and, and he basically looks at these life hacks, and he goes, really? You got to do that when you can do it this way? Anyway, Cobby uh, Lame, I think, is his name that uh, he, he does. This thing's famous for that. Or new math. <laughs> new math. What do all these things have in common? Well, it's making simple things complicated. <laughs> making simple things complicated. And according to one of our children, <laughs> I could probably be placed in that group when it comes to explaining math to them. <laughs> I usually take the long route. and they're Just tell me how to do it. A philosophy professor asked his students just one question for their final exam. The question was this. How are you going to make me believe that this chair in front of you is invisible? It took all the students one hour to finish writing the answer, except for one student who only took five seconds. After that day, the results were posted, and the one student got the highest score. His answer to the question, what chair? <laughs> what chair? Don't make simple things so complicated. And the same goes for the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel usually causes people to stumble. It can't be that easy, can it? Yes, it can. When we travel down the road of life and come to the crossroads of the gospel's offer, we are baffled at how simple it is to receive God's gift of eternal life. And so we hesitate in which way we'll go. Is it really this simple? There's got to be more to it. I've got to do more. We're, we're continuing in our series, The Roads to Jesus, and uh, we're going to find ourselves today on the road of salvation. And we'll be looking at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and discover that the way to be saved is never left in doubt. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's what it takes. In today's passage, where Paul tells us in no uncertain terms how we can be made right with God, we may not realize how shocking this was to the church at Rome, those verses, especially verse 9. I think a backdrop to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, will help explain this. So let's take a journey back in time to the city of Rome in about 64 AD. At this time, Rome is the absolute center of commerce, thinking, trade, culture, all these things, the extravagance, and known to the entire world. It's an absolutely jaw-dropping city. The Romans controlled much of the world. They were the undeniable superpower of their day. Things for, Christian, uh, for, things for Christians in Rome were, were going fairly well. They had an uprising a few years earlier where they clashed with the Jews. And as a result, the emperor Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to get out of town. But things after that had calmed down considerably 
until 64 AD, specifically the night of June 18, a hot summer night in the bustling city of Rome. Now, there was this new emperor. You've probably heard of him before. His name is Nero. He's a crazy guy. And that's what he's most famous for, anyway. Well, on June 18, a huge fire broke out in Rome. Nero was several miles away at, summer, at a summer palace, and he rushed back to Rome upon hearing of the fire and marshaled all of his resources to put out the fire. Well, despite his best efforts, the fire lasted six days and seven nights and then flared up off and on for three more days. Three-fourths of, this, of the, this great city of Rome was destroyed. And that's hard to even comprehend, but imagine if three-fourths of, of the city of, of New York was destroyed in a week. Unimaginable suffering followed for the people. And rumors started surfacing that Nero himself had started the fire and that he, had, he sat atop a tower dressed as an actor playing his lyre and, and singing while the, the city of Rome burned to the ground. Well, Nero has to put to rest these, these terrible rumors. So he looks around for someone to blame for, for the fire to take the heat off of himself, if you will. The historian Tacitus picks up our story here and Let me read what he says. He says, In spite of every human effort of the emperor's liberal generosity and of the sacrifices made to the gods, nothing sufficed to relieve suspicion nor to destroy the opinion that the fire had been ordered. Therefore, in order to destroy this rumor, Nero blamed the Christians who are are hated for their abominations and punished them with refined cruelty. Christ, from whom they take their name, was executed by Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. Stopped for a moment, this evil superstition reappeared not only in Judea, where was the root of the evil, but also in Rome, where all things sordid and abominable from every corner of the world came together. Thus, First, those who confessed were arrested, and on the basis of their testimony, a great number were condemned, although not so, much by, not so much for the fire itself as for their hatred of humankind. So, did you catch that in that, that description that Tacitus wrote? First, those who confessed were arrested, and a great number condemned of those Christians. And what did Paul say? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. So here, Paul is telling the Christians in the church at Rome to confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord. In Rome, in the heart of the persecution, in the city where the emperor himself lives. Now that's a death sentence waiting to happen. What would happen to those who confessed? Well... We know that some were dressed in furs and killed by dogs. Some were crucified. Others were set on fire early in the night and placed around the city to light the night. And some of us have a difficult time telling our neighbor that we are Christians. So what does it mean to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart? Let's look first at confess. Try to figure this out. 
Today, there's a great confusion, even in the church, about God's way of salvation. Some people say, well, if I'm a good person and go to church, I'll be okay. You've probably heard that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac, right? So others say, well, we all, have, we all end up in, in heaven anyway, so it doesn't matter what I do or, or believe. Well, I'll get there. But this plan makes absolutely no sense. A just God cannot just let everybody go to some place, the same place no matter what they believe. Thankfully, God's plan for the redemption of man has not changed in over 2,000 years. It's the same as it was when Paul wrote to the Roman believers. Where he says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's look a little closer at that phrase, confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. We confess Jesus Christ as Lord when we, when we publicly, publicly acknowledge that we are sold out followers of Jesus Christ. We confess Him as Lord when we face the pressure to sin. Maybe we face peer pressure and we tell our friends, no, nah, I'm a follower of Jesus and I won't do that. We confess Him as Lord when we have the opportunity to make a bunch of money on a less-than-honest business deal, and we say, I won't do it because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. The Christians in Rome confessed Jesus as Lord, even though they knew that it meant certain death. And all over the world today, people are confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, even when it means imprisonment, loss of relationship, loss of income, loss of status, even death. We must boldly confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like the story I heard of a poor woman who lived alone in an apartment. She was a devout believer in Christ. Her neighbor, a grouchy old man, was not. He would get very upset because he could hear her praying several times each day. And every time he spoke to her, he would remind her that there is no God and that she was wasting her time. The day came when she fell upon hard times financially, and pretty soon she had no groceries, and she began to pray that God would provide her with the food she needed. And then she began praising Him and thanking Him for the food He was going to send her. The neighbor heard her and came up with a plan to prove to her that there is no God. He went down and bought her so many groceries she had no place to put them. And then he carefully put all the bags in front of her door, rang the doorbell, and hid just around the corner. She came to the door, saw all the bags of food, and fell to her knees thanking God for giving her the groceries. And at that moment, at that moment, this guy ran up and with a smirk on his face told her that God didn't get the groceries for her. He did. And with that, she smiled and said, Thank you, God. Not only did you provide me with groceries, but you got the devil to pay for him. <laughs> Even under duress, we must boldly confess. When we're under pressure, we still confess Jesus is Lord. He's got everything in control, He will provide. We must also understand that many people all over the world and throughout the ages acknowledge that Jesus is both the Son of God and the Lord of the universe. They acknowledge that. 
But Paul is speaking here of the deep, personal, abiding conviction that will confess Jesus Christ as Lord without reservation. There is a difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus personally. You see, I, I know a lot of facts of, about Abraham Lincoln. You do, you do as well. I know he was from Illinois. I know he gave the Gettysburg Address. I know he was married to a woman named Mary. <laughs> but I don't know Abraham Lincoln personally. You have to know Jesus personally, not just know about Him. The book of James declares this, You believe that there is one God, good even the demons believe that, and shudder. Think about it. Demons. They have witnessed God speak the heavens and the earth into existence. They have observed more of God's work and know more about His nature and power than any human being ever will. They know what heaven is like because they used to live there, and they know for sure that they are destined for judgment in the lake of fire, and they shudder. They don't trust Jesus for any kind of salvation. They know about Him. They know what He can, he can do. James' point is that men can hold the same belief as demons, belief that may be theologically correct but does not include receiving Jesus Christ as Lord. So you can have good theology, acknowledge your sin, desire to go to heaven, be moral, yet still go to hell. People like this don't repent and forsake their sin, and they, they don't trust in the Savior who can forgive and remove their sin. They know the facts about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Jesus encountered many people just like that during His earthly ministry. This was the problem with the rich young ruler, which you may have read, up, read of before. He was willing to do some things that Jesus told him, but he wasn't willing to acknowledge his sin and repent or give up his riches, which were really his first love. Submitting to Christ's lordship is such a vital part of salvation that Paul testified in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit brings salvation and faith to a heart, that heart proclaims the Lordship of Christ. It's evident. As one pastor used to say, you cannot meet the Son of God and walk away the same person. And contrary to much teaching today, Scripture never separates Christ's Lordship from His Saviorhood. They're matched together. In the book of Acts, Jesus is twice referred to as Savior, but 92 times as Lord. In the entire New Testament, He is referred to as Savior 10 times, but, as, but is referred to as Lord some 700 times. To confess Jesus Christ as, as Lord is to let Him reign over your life personally. It is not to be ashamed of His name. It is to publicly identify yourself as a follower of Christ, letting people know, standing for Him. So confess Him today while there's still time. <laughs> then there's belief. Let's look at that. We also need to believe that God raised Him from the dead. Really believe, not just 
think we believe. There's a story about a physics professor who was teaching his class about the law of the pendulum, that an object swinging from side to side always decreases in the length of its arc with every swing. The professor had nailed a rope to the wall just above the blackboard. To this rope, he had attached a baseball. And he asked how many of the class really believed in the law of the pendulum, and they all raised their hands. With that, he pulled the rope to one side of the mark, one side marked where it was on the board, on the blackboard. Then he let go of it, and every time it swung back to his side, he put another mark on that blackboard where it would come to. The result was he had many marks all closer to the center than the one before, proving the law was true. And he asked again how many of them really believed in the law, and they all raised their hands once again. Then he took the class to the auditorium where he had hung a thick nylon cord from the rafters just above the stage. Attached to this cord was a 100-pound weight. And he asked for a volunteer. He had a chair sitting on the side of the stage, just off on the side of the stage, and he had the man who volunteered sit in it. He then took the weight, which was hanging in the middle of the stage, and he carried it over to the, about an inch from the boy's face. He asked him if he believed in the law of the, of the pendulum, <laughs> and the boy, starting to get a little worried by now, said he did. And with that, the professor let go of the weight right in front of his face, let go of the weight, and it swung clear to the other side of the stage and then back to come, come back to him. There has never been anyone move so fast as that young man trying to get out of the way of that pendulum. <laughs> he believed, but he believed only until it had to risk losing something, <laughs> like his head. There are many Christians who have the same type of faith in their belief in Jesus. They think they believe, and then they say they believe, but, but, but when push comes to shove, they get out of the way as fast as they can. Remember when Peter told Jesus that he would follow him into death if necessary? A few verses later, we see that where Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter was like that young man on the stage he thought he believed, but when he was pushed, his faith easily collapsed. And, and we cannot have faith unless we really, truly believe. See, true belief in Christ's lordship and resurrection comes from the heart. The Hebrews considered the heart to be the, the core of personhood, the residence of the soul, the, the deepest innermost part of our being where thoughts and will and motivation live. It is with our heart that we believe, and it is with our heart that our eternal destiny is determined. And Scripture is full of many truths that Christians are, are to believe. The New Testament clearly says that Christ lived as a flesh and blood man on this earth, that He was conceived by the Holy Spirit to a virgin mother, that He experienced every kind of temptation and yet remained sinless. But the truth of Jesus' res resurrection from the dead was the supreme validation of His ministry. And Paul states that Jesus Christ, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, says that Jesus Christ, who through the Spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
In other words, when God raised him from the dead, God, has, that God was declaring again that the Savior was his beloved son and with whom he was well pleased. The resurrection of Christ also demonstrated that he was victorious over sin and over death and over Satan. We must believe the resurrection of Christ because it proves that he accomplished our salvation on the cross. And to believe in the resurrection is to identify ourselves with the one who purchased our redemption on that cross and rose to share eternal life with all of us who believe in him as our Lord and Savior. If he had not been raised, sin and death would have won the victory over mankind. You see, apart from Christ's resurrection, there could be no salvation. Paul warned in Corinthians that if Christ was not has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead, but He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So, if Christ has not been raised, then we have been going around lying about this, making us false witnesses, according to Paul. But Paul goes further and says, if Christ has not been raised, we are wasting our time. If God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, He isn't going to raise you either. <laughs> but we know that Jesus did raise from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 shouts out the message, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Henry Ward Beecher was a Congregationalist clergyman in the 1800s and a brother of Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin. When Henry was a boy, he had a teacher at school who asked one of the boys in class a question which the boy answered. The teacher became angry and told the boy he was wrong and commanded him to sit down. The boy was obviously confused because he thought he'd answered correctly, but he sat abruptly down. Several boys were asked the same question. They gave the same answer and were promptly rebuked by their teacher. Finally, Beecher was asked to stand and answer the question. He gave the same answer and was commanded Sit down. But Beecher held his ground and insisted that the answer was correct. For a few moments, the teacher stormed at him, but seeing Beecher wasn't going to give up, he smiled. And the teacher said, well, boys, you were all correct. But Beecher was the only one sh sure enough to stand up for it. He stood his ground. And many, many people, many people have lost their faith in Christ because they simply lack the courage to stand up for what they believe. They hear all the things around them, and they're thinking, well, they're calling it wrong. I guess it must be wrong. And we live in a world like that these days, that they're telling what's, what's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. What's up and it's down, and what's down is up. Everything's backwards. And that's in light of how the world views things. It doesn't erase God's principles, <laughs> what he calls right and what he calls wrong. 
But Christians have grown so used to apologizing for their faith that once someone mounts a serious challenge to that faith, they just give up and sit down. We must be right. I guess I was wrong. When your mouth confesses and your heart believes, it means that you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh who was able to lay down His life and take it up again and is now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. It means that you are putting your trust in Jesus for your hope to get to heaven, not in yourself, because He is the only way, and you rejoice to know that there is coming a day, as Philippians chapter 2 tells us, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's, let's hold firmly, firmly to the faith and confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The road of salvation, road of salvation is really, really that simple. No need to complicate things. The gospel is fairly easy to receive. Romans 10.10 10 tells us, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Let's pray. Annie, come on up. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would just continue to be each one of us as we consider your salvation, your gift offered to us freely. Help us, Lord, not to make it so complicated. Confess with our mouth, believe in our hearts. It doesn't take rocket science to figure it out. It just takes a faith that believes you are the Son of God. You died for my sins on that cross. You were placed in the tomb, but now that tomb is empty, and now you are in heaven preparing a place for me because I've placed my trust for eternal life in you what you've done. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today online, maybe also too here in person, just has not actually taken that step to trust in you for eternal life. They know about you. They know what you've done. They've heard about you and read about you all the time in, in, in the Bible, hear about you on Sundays. They just have not taken that step to trust in you for salvation. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here today that, that is listening, watching, or that you would impress on their hearts that today is the day of salvation for them, offered freely, offered simply, and they're just a prayer away. So, Lord, I pray that during this time, they would take time to pray and acknowledge you as Savior, receive you as Savior, confess you as Lord, and believe in their heart. You were raised from the dead. Lord, thank you for offering that free gift of salvation to us. I pray that we would reach out and receive that gift if we have not done so already. And if we've done so already, I pray, Lord, that you'd be with each follower of Jesus, that we would be ready to stand up for you no matter what. No matter what the world throws at us, that we'd be ready to confess you to others around us. Help us, Lord, to be bold in that, but to be loving 
and how we do it. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do through us in this coming week. And I pray, Lord, that you just continue to speak to our hearts as we sing these next couple songs. And pray, Lord, that you again would just uh, remind us that you're a God that can be trusted with those concerns that we have. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.